been fascinated with the unknown and paranormal realms since childhood. After a profound experience with my grandmother's spirit 20 years ago, I have been on a quest to observe, study, investigate, and communicate with the afterlife and beyond. It's been an ongoing journey of exploration and discovery, one that has taught me how mortality and the spirit world are forever bonded through the veils of time. Good evening, everyone. I hope you're doing well. You're tuning in to another episode of the Chronicles and Beyond. I am your host, Nicole Strickland, on the WLTKDB network or uh, you can get there by signing into wltkdb.com or the let's talk.com so tonight as we know there goes my cat kaylee it happens every thursday night she just wants to join in the show anyway so as we know tonight or today tonight is january 28 2021 it is the 35th anniversary of the challenger STS 51L mission, soaring high and slipping the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God, to quote President Reagan on his address to the nation the day of the tragic accident. So I'm sure we all know and we all remember where we were when this tragedy happened. I I was about six and a half years old, so I was a little young. But as I uh, grew older, I learned about it. I even did a school project on the Challenger disaster. I think I was a freshman in high school. So I wanted to take just a, a few moments to honor and remember the S- or Challenger 7, Dick Scobie, Mike Smith, Ronald McNair, Judy Resnick, Ellison Onizuka, Gregory Jarvis, and Krista McAuliffe. I want to take a a few seconds to honor their memory, their legacies, and their contributions by having seven seconds of silence. Maybe not because my cat's meowing, but we'll pretend. Okay. All right. So, uh, segueing now into tonight's guest, I'm really excited to have him on. Randy Liebeck is just a walking encyclopedia when it comes to parapsychology, uh, paranormal research and that and that uh, sort of thing. He is the New Jersey State Rep for the Ghost Research Society. He is a parapsychological field investigator for the Office of Paranormal Investigations. He's a member of ma- many parapsychological organizations, the American Institute of Parapsychology, the Rhine Research Center, and the Society for Psychical Research. Randy, thank you so much for joining me tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Nicole. Hope you're doing well, too. Yeah, yeah, doing pretty good. This month's flying by. I can't believe it's almost February. So, (laughs) But yeah, thank you so much for joining me tonight. My pleasure. So, you know, this is so cliche to start out, you know, by asking, okay, so what's your background in the field? But I, I am going to start off with that because you have such a wide scope and, and a lot of experience in the field. So can you talk a little bit of some of the work you've done? Because, it, I mean, it's, it's tremendous, the work that you've done. I've uh, been involved in the field, uh, actively doing field investigations since the late 1980s. Uh, but it's been a lifelong uh, interest and academic interest, reading, studying out in the field from the late 80s on. Uh, I'm not one of those people who's done uh, a million uh, cases. I know uh, some of these groups, people say, oh, I've done, you know, 10,000 field investigations. Uh, you know, I have not. I'm selective in, in what I'll get involved in if I'm uh, uh, requested by a client or if I'm referred by an organization. Uh, I'm not generally running out on my own uh, doing abandoned uh, insane asylums and cemeteries and stuff like that. So I, uh, I may not, you know, have, you know, 10,000 field investigations behind me, but I have uh, uh, quite a number. I've been doing it for a while. Uh, most of them uh, on the behest of television programs or referrals from uh, parapsychological uh, institutes like the Ryan research center. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had cases referred by Cornell university Wow. Uh, uh, Lloyd Auerbach uh, with the Office of Paranormal Investigations. And occasionally I do hang out with the Ghost Research Society uh, when they're out on the uh, eastern side of the U.S. 
Yes, that's a fun group. I'm also, uh, as you know, a member of the Ghost Research Society. And it's, uh, I think it was 2009 when I investigated the Waverly Hill Sanatorium. And uh, it was a, Robin, a bowling alley in Robinson, Illinois, and then also at Troy Taylor's conference, the Lincoln Theater. So that, it's a great team. I mean, Dale has like tons of knowledge, just like you. So a lot well, of fun. Uh, yeah, Dale is definitely uh, one of my mentors in the field. And yeah, uh, yeah he is literally a, a walking encyclopedia. Oh, it's, of, I mean, of tremendous. Of research. Oh, I know. It's like, I, I mean, I consider him a mentor as well. It's incredible the knowledge he has. But I consider you up there as well in terms of knowledge. So, you know, I, you know, you said that you're selective with taking on cases. I respect that. I respect that hundred percent. I'm actually the same way. I don't take on, uh, I mean, I, I would say like for private residence cases or, or business cases, we probably take on less than 10% of the cases that, that uh, we get. So I respect that. Part of it so, with me is that uh, I do not primarily regard myself as a, uh, a ghost investigator. Uh, that is part of what I do. Uh, my overall interest is in the phenomenology, uh, the history, the social mm-hmm. dynamics of it, uh, the uh, scientific and uh, philosophical uh, implications of it. And being an actual field investigator, you know, spending uh, late nights in the haunted attics is part of that. Of course, but, for, but it's part of that. It's not the whole picture. You know, you you call yourself a psychical research. In your opinion, is there a difference between like a psychical researcher versus a uh, paranormal researcher, or is it just semantics that we're we're dealing with? It's just semantics, but okay. there's a reason I use psychical researcher instead of paranormal investigator. Uh, the paranormal investigator term. Uh, was popularized in the early 1990s. Of course. And uh, it's been adapted. And uh, as a term, it's legitimate. Uh, People like us who are out there in the field doing paranormal investigations are paranormal investigators. My concern is is that there are so many uh, fakes, frauds, uh, uneducated people out there, uh, people who call themselves investigators, but they are not conducting anything remotely resembling a structured field. Absolutely. They Absolutely. have, yeah, they, they've, they've adopted that term paranormal investigator for themselves. And I think it's, uh, there's a lot of baggage with that term. And I think it's in the eyes of the general public, when you say paranormal investigator, people think you are running around cemeteries, uh, uh, banishing demons. And that's not what I do. It's not what you do. And so I just no. wanted, uh, I, I'm moving away from that term. Uh, I'm not, I can't call myself a parapsychologist because I am not a parapsychologist. I'm a parapsychological field investigator. I work with parapsychologists who are credentialed academics with advanced degrees in social sciences. Um, but parapsychology itself, which I, I, I consider myself a, a closely aligned to, mm-hmm. they operate within a rigid hierarchy of what they investigate and uh, how they investigate it, what, what hypotheses and theories they will function under. I've, over the decades, I've come to feel that the phenomena that people experience and that we explore cannot be neatly categorized completely within the parapsychological paradigm. Uh, I think there are areas that parapsychology will not look into, which are part of the big picture. So for that reason, I don't call myself a parapsychological field investigator overall. That's part of what I do. Mm-hmm. Psychical investigator is the original term. That's the original gangster term uh, from the 1800s when the Society for Psychical Research and the, uh, the Ghost Club in London in 1862 were created. Uh, the term was psychical research. You're investigating uh, psychical phenomena, phenomena. Uh, which exists outside the mainstream and has some connection with the human psyche, human consciousness, mm-hmm. human, uh, the mind. Uh, that term has fallen out of favor over uh, the past 150 years, though the, uh, the British SPR and, and certain organizations still you know, use that term as part of their title. Uh, but I think it uh, is the best terminology to, uh, for me to use because it's holistic. Right. It investigates what paranormal investigators look into. It investigates what 
parapsychologists look into, but it's, it, it is not structured as a rigid hierarchy. We can look at it from a uh, strict science standpoint, uh, social sciences, physical sciences. Mm-hmm. There are anthropological aspects of it. There are metaphysical aspects of it. There are certain parts of this that I am not convinced can be compartmentalized, you know, within strict academic science. I agree. So I, I think, agree. I think it's a safer term uh, for me to use. It's more encompassing and it separates me from the 10 million self-proclaimed paranormal investigators who are running around uh, screaming in cemeteries saying they they're, they've come across a demon. And, and yeah, I mean, I don't even get me started on that. It's just, I, I wish that there was a standard protocol out there for everyone who wants to delve into the research of the unknown to follow almost that they're mandated to follow it. I wish that it could get to that point because I mean, there's so many people out there, amateur investigators that don't know what they're doing. And I think that there's a lot of misidentification of entities going on as well. You know, so um, speaking of demons, I mean, I'm, I'm one to believe that uh, it's extremely rare to have a, a truly malevolent haunting, but it just lately, it seems that that's where entertainment and the media is, is focusing their attention. I think it's a, it's a disservice to uh, the spirit world, if you will, and, and the whole parapsychological field. So, well, that's the key. This, uh, uh, the direction the field is heading in is driven by the media. Of course. And it is largely a creation of the media. Uh, legitimate, uh, trained and educated psychical investigators, parapsychological investigators, uh, have been tossed to the wayside for uh, being replaced by television personalities. Uh, the vast majority of whom do not know what they're doing. Uh, or if they do, uh, and I've worked for TV shows. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Dale's worked for TV shows. Right. Uh, uh, so there are credible investigators involved in, in televised productions, but most of the Absolutely. ones who are currently uh, doing the ones who have weekly shows, uh, mm-hmm. they have to produce weekly results that excite and enthrall an audience. It is entertainment. They have to provide and produce entertainment. And, uh, Yep, I uh, I think these shows actually do encounter real paranormal phenomena. It's just, uh, it, it's a mathematical certainty. If you go to a legitimate haunted location enough times, eventually you're going to be there at the right place at the right time. Oh, yeah, I agree. But not once a week on demand, you know, every place they go. So what's right. real, what's not. So, I mean, what do you think, the, in your, in your uh, opinion, what do you think the future is for uh, this sort of research? Where, where do you see it going? I'm not optimistic. Uh, right now, uh, the, the media paradigm, the ghost hunters, ghost adventures, ghost whatever of the dozen TV shows out there, have assumed control of at least the media and the public's perception of the domain. Uh, legitimate researchers are, are by the wayside. Uh, institutional research organizations are, are by the wayside. In, in the U.S., they pretty much no longer exist. The American Society for Psychical Research, uh, which was a spinoff of the British organization, has been around mm-hmm. since the 1800s. Uh, it is, for all practical purposes, completely defunct at this point and, and does nothing. Uh, some of the parapsychological institutes that are still out there, the Rhine Research Center, uh, there are a couple of university programs. So University of Virginia has a program. Uh, uh, university of Arizona has a program. But they're not doing research uh, so much into ghosts and poltergeists. It's more straight parapsychological. Uh, though uh, uh, Gary uh, Schwartz in Arizona mm-hmm. is doing uh, research with mediums, which certainly touches you know, into the afterlife uh, issues of, of ghosts and hauntings. But for the most part, uh, the, the scientists are doing their thing on their own without a a huge amount of public acknowledgement or awareness. Uh, The awareness is these TV shows. I don't know if it can be turned around in the short term. These things are cyclical. Yeah. Uh, Public interest and and the activity of of researchers 
as it rides a wave. Uh, there are high points, there are low points. We're going through a very big low point right now. I'm concerned, uh, especially for America. You had mentioned uh, about having some sort of guidelines or rules you know, for investigators. Uh, sometimes we have to be careful for what we ask for. You know, I'm, I, uh, if somebody sets the rules, who sets the rules? You know, maybe we don't agree with them, but we're bound to follow them. Uh, in the UK, the, uh, there's a group called ASAP, the Association for the Scientific Study of Anomalous Phenomena. Yes, they I've were, heard of them. Mm-hmm. They were formed back in the 80s. I've been a member since the 90s. Uh, they were formed by uh, some academic researchers and scientists who said, hey, let's create an, an organization to go out into the field and investigate this stuff. And what they've been doing for many years is creating a certification program for affiliated investigators. So if you are if a ghost hunting group uh, in the UK, uh, you know, East Manchester, you know, ghost mm-hmm. chasers or whatever, uh, if you take ASAP's training, go out on a supervised investigation with them after you've done the training and pass their examination and certification program, you are certified by them to be sent out if they have a case for you to look into. And it, and it creates a, uh, a national body in the UK of investigators who are trained and certified to a standard. It may not be a perfect standard. You know, I, you know, maybe there'll be parts of what their protocols are that, you know, we may not completely agree with, but at least they have a standard that they hold affiliated investigators to. We have no such organization in the U.S. There is no body uh, to uh, pull all these thousands and thousands of groups together to any sort of standardization. And I think that there should. I mean, I think that there needs to be structure, not structure so rigid that you can't necessarily deviate, you know, because every location is different. But at least a structure whereby, you know, people can follow it, you know, have the same sort of sets of protocols and and standard operating procedures. It would just be, it would lend to a lot more, I think, uh, credible data and and that sort of thing. So, I mean, I'm hoping that that somehow can take place in the future. And I think, I mean, I do think television is a great medium. And I'm wondering why there, that there can't be more, entertainment mixed in with uh like an educational informative sort of style to these shows i mean documentaries kind of follow that but i think that you know it it, i think it can get to that if if we try hard enough but that's just my opinion every now and then on uh on television there will be a documentary or a documentary miniseries uh, which approaches these subjects from an intelligent and thoughtful approach. Uh, right. There are many more of those shows in the 80s and 90s than there are now. Yes. Uh, but, however, right now on Netflix, there's a, there's a uh, six-episode show airing called Surviving Death, uh, which is focusing mm-hmm. on the research uh, at the University of Virginia uh, and, uh, on, uh, and uh, Gary Schwartz's research and the uh, Lloyd Auerbach's uh, work in, in California. Uh, it's it's uh, following the work of parapsychologists in the field for uh, medium studies, for uh, ghost and poltergeist studies, and reincarnation studies. And this is a brilliant show. Uh, anybody who has, anyone who has Netflix needs to watch this. Uh, if, if for no other reason, to see another presentation of the subject than what you're going to get from watching uh, the Travel Channel uh, ghost hunting shows. Yeah, I mean, that's that's fantastic. That's kind of what I'm talking about. There needs to be more of those types of education, educational, you know, entertaining as well, but educational types of shows. So, and my, have, my, oh, my, dime, my dime store, uh, quick recommendation to researchers, uh, uh, lay ghost investigators who want to have some sort of uh, guidance to follow. The Society for Psychical Research has mm-hmm. a, uh, a pamphlet uh, called uh, uh, Guidebook for uh, Ghost and Poltergeist Field Investigations. Uh, awesome. It, it's, a, it's a small book. You, you, can, you can read it in uh, an hour or two, uh, but it gives a, a basic, simple outline for the proper way, according to organized psychical research, on how to do an investigation of a ghost, how to take notes, how to organize your evidence, uh, what to do with the evidence. So if nothing else, you know, people can go on amazon.com 
get that pamphlet, you know, for seven or eight dollars, whatever it costs. And uh, even if you don't go to formal training, even if you're not certified, you know, by by an organization, following the the basic protocol in that uh, book will put us all, you know, ahead of the game by by a hundred steps. Awesome. And on that note, we have to take a quick break. You are listening to the Afterlife Chronicles on the WLTKDB network. We'll be right back. WLTK DB Let's Talk Ever wanted to host your own radio show? If your answer is yes, then the time to act is now. WLTK DB Let's Talk is now accepting new programming more affordable than ever. You create the show idea and we'll take care of the rest. Not only do we create your program intro and provide broadcast training, but also syndicate you to popular outlets like Apple and Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and more. You get all of this starting at 100 bucks per month. Three packages to choose from and built to make your wallet happy. Contact us at WLTKDB.com with your show idea and let's bring your dream to life. All topics accepted and you have full rights to your program. Contact us today and reserve your spot on WLTKDB Let's Talk. What are you waiting for? Let's do this. Others say it. We prove it. We are controlling transmission. WLTK DB. Let's talk. Alternative Talk Radio. WLTKDB.com. Two minutes past the hour, you are listening to Chronicles and Beyond on the WLTKDB network. I'm your host, Nicole Strickland, and tonight's guest is Randy Liebeck. A parapsychological researcher, a member of many different parapsychological uh, organizations. Before the break, we were talking a little bit about his work in the field and kind of where the future of uh, you know anomalous phenomena research is going, and and how the media is, is kind of uh, in the hot spot right now in terms of controlling it and that sort of thing. And right before the break, uh, Randy, you were mentioning uh, a guidebook that people can acquire that that. Uh, almost outlines the steps that that someone needs to do when when researching the field and and again where can they get that on amazon.com uh oh, perfect uh, okay guide notes for investigators of spontaneous uh, phenomena it's by uh the current version of it i believe is written by steve parsons okay. and it's published by the spr in london and it, it's, awesome. it's it's for the purpose we're talking about it's to provide uh just a basic guideline uh, for folks who want to go out and do a ghost investigation, mm-hmm. but don't really uh, know how. And uh, and there are lots of folks out there, you know, who have that, have that interest and want to do that. And I just say, you know, for God's sakes, don't watch one of these TV shows and say, okay, that's what I'm going to copy. <laughs> that, that That is not a, a spontaneous case investigation. You know, spend, spend the eight bucks, nine bucks, get this, you know, very easily readable pamphlet and, and follow the outline. That will uh, walk you through a you know a, a ghost hunting one hundred and one level guidebook put out by professionals. That's uh, people who've been investigating ghosts since you know eighteen eighty two. That's fantastic. I mean, it, it just cracks me up how some people can say, "Oh, well, I went to the cemetery at night and I brought my recorder with me. I took a few photos. I did an investigation." No, that's not even like an ounce i mean that's not even an investigation please just cracks me up it really does but um really good advice i'm definitely going to check that out on on amazon.com you know you mentioned earlier use the word banishing and i you know this is something that i often think about and reflect on uh, when people will maybe send a request and say hey you know i think i have a a ghost or spirit in my house. I want that. I want that ghost gone. And here I'm thinking to myself, well, first of all, I don't think the human uh, mortality as living humans have ownership over a spirit. I don't think we can dictate and, and have that control over a spirit. And something that I also think of is 
well, where the heck are we going to banish them to? Where are we going to send them? What, so what are your thoughts on that? Well, assuming that ghosts exist, and let, let's be real here, that, that has not been proven. The totality of the evidence over thousands of years strongly suggests that, yes, there are phenomena out there that we define as ghosts that people do encounter uh, both subjectively and to a to a limited degree, objectively. Mm -hmm. There there are uh, some uh, photos, videos, uh, audio recordings, uh, sensor uh, readings, which indicate. Yeah, it's not all in the mind that there is something real happening in the environment, but we have not proven that, hey, that this is a ghost. If right. ghosts exist, uh, we're assuming, okay, that some of them are surviving human consciousness. Mm-hmm. That they are dead people uh, who are coming back in, in some way, shape, or form. Again, that's an assumption. We, can, we have no proof of that. We struggle uh, enough to, uh, to show evidence that something is going on. However, on the surface of it, uh, some of these cases do really look like it's a surviving human intelligence, sometimes uh, identifiably so. Sometimes something will happen, an apparition will be seen, things will be heard, things will be smelled, where the percipient says, hey, that's, that's my dear dead Aunt Alice. And in cases like that, we really have to seriously look at the, at the possibility, hey, it might really be Aunt Alice. Uh, so I'm very open to the uh, ghosts are dead people, uh, but there are alternatives. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to bet my life on, you know, that's what it is, because there are, uh, there are alternatives, even paranormal alternatives, not just, you know, you know, uh, delusions and hallucinations. Uh, but if, if a ghost or one category of ghosts are dead people, surviving consciousness, surviving spirits. They're people. Mm-hmm. And we should not forget that. And a lot of investigators exactly. and TV shows have totally forgotten that. And they, at least yes. uh, on the surface, uh, 99% of the folks who, when you mention ghosts and you ask them what it is, they'll say, hey, it's, it's a dead person. You know, come right. back from beyond. Well, if, people, if folks believe that, including these lay investigators and TV personalities, my God, the way they treat ghosts on these shows, would you treat a living human being in that oh, way? It's appalling. It's appalling. I mean, I've actually, I've actually shed tears. I mean, I, I've actually cried while watching some of these shows because of the, the, the horrible treatment. So, yeah, it's sad. Um, imagine uh, that... We're dead. We're ghosts, and through for whatever reason, through whatever mechanism, we are still behind, hanging out in our old house. Maybe uh, we've chosen to do so. We uh, we're, we don't want to move on. Uh, we have loved ones we don't want to abandon. Maybe we're afraid to move on. We don't know what is on the other side of that proverbial light, or maybe there's been a glitch in the matrix. Maybe we should have passed over into another realm, but something went wrong. Whatever the reason, we are left behind. We're in our house. A group uh, between four to 15 people conversing into our house of all kinds of electronic devices, gizmos, electrostatic and EM field generators, and they come in demanding that we make contact. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, In in many cases, accusing us of being demons. and you know, demanding that we you know, move their little uh, children's toy they bring in, demanding that we make their EM meter go off the scale. We're in, if these are people, whether they have a body or not, we have intruded into their house, into their reality, uh, and are basically home invaders. Now, to do, yes. to do a field investigation, yes, you do have to go into a location. But uh, I think the, the best analogy uh, to show why that approach on TV is wrong and what the proper approach is, uh, in anthropology, you have social scientists who will go to a uh, remote tribal community or society to try to learn about you know, an Amazon tribe. You do have to approach the tribe after, after observation from a distance 
And when you do make the approach, there are certain ethical guidelines that anthropologists have to follow about how you deal with indigenous tribes and societies. Uh, you do not go in uh, obtrusively. Uh, you try to fit in as best as you can. Uh, you do not scare them by bringing in uh, uh, TV video cameras and recording devices. You want to try to be as unobtrusive and to be as much part of their world as possible. There are rules about uh, not doing things to frighten them. There are rules about not introducing them to uh, technology and information, which they would not normally. In Star Trek, it's called the Federation's Prime Directive. Uh, but it is one of the primary rules of, of social sciences and anthropology uh, on planet Earth. Uh, I believe that uh, we are dealing with a, a person, and we can, we can say that dead people or ghosts are a, uh, a, a sociological uh, society of its own you know, that has some different rules and different realities of physics than we do, apparently. Uh, we're, uh, we should approach that the same as we would a living human subculture or society on Earth. You, uh, you're going into a, a house that you think's haunted. You think, for whatever reason, the ghost is uh, a little girl named Abigail who died in 1800. You're going in there. You're bringing uh, all kinds of equipment with flashing lights, making beeps, something that she never would have been exposed to. Yes, Exactly. Alive. You are terrifying. If, if it is you know, little Abigail who's still there, you are scaring the crap out of her. You're telling her, you know, to, uh, this, is, this is my tape recorder. I want you to talk into it. We're assuming that Abigail has any conceptualization of what a tape recorder is or, you know, a digital recorder. Uh, even bringing uh, things like flashlights, into a location. If, if you, if the location and the time period that you think the haunting emanates from was prior to the existence of flashlights, maybe you're better off bringing a candle or a lantern. Exactly. Uh, yes. So you're, so you're not showing up as some alien outsider, you know, with things that, you know, uh, the, the ghost could consider to be something, you know, even, you know, supernatural. They could consider you to be a witch. Or some, you know, or or a demon yourself, you know. Very true. Mm -hmm. uh, so be cognizant uh, of where you are, and if uh, you think the haunting has a connection with a certain period in history, really try to uh, tie your investigative protocol so it does not conflict with that location and timeline. Even a terminology, uh, we speak very differently than folks did in the nineteenth century. Or right. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, and I see these ghost investigators uh, on TV going to a place and they think it's, you know, a pirate's ghost or, the, you know, the ghost of you know, somebody you know, from the from the Victorian era. And the ghost investigators are using American English slang, uh, using you know, a terminology, which, again, they're assuming that ghosts after you die, all of a sudden you acquire some sort of cosmic knowledge and awareness of all things, all, you know, future terminology. That's, that's a big leap to make. I think, I think so uh, too. And, you know, basic human decency, you don't go in making threats. Uh, you don't, you know, say, I, I, I dare you to appear. I command you. Uh, I, I, I hate to call out names because it will certainly, uh, banish me from getting paid anytime in the future to be a guest on, on these shows. But when I see Zach Bagans out there, you know, provoking, threatening, you know, trying to get a reaction, trying to anger the ghost to get, you know, some reaction that they can, you know, film and put on TV. Uh, my God, we're dealing with what very possibly could be, and I think in some cases likely is a person. That person, uh, if they're dead, Maybe they know they're dead. Maybe they don't. Maybe they're uh, staying behind intentionally. They know they're dead and they've made a decision. And we'll stay with my, you know, my wife until she passes over. Or maybe they're confused. Maybe they don't know they're dead. Maybe uh, uh, in some of these cases, uh, it looks like the ghosts are confused, do not have complete cognitive 
conceptualization abilities are not aware that time has passed. Uh, and uh, that, that confuses them there when they see you know, new technology. They don't understand that you know, it's not their house anymore. You know, somebody else has bought the house. Uh, but it's you're, you're confusing and scaring the crap out of these people if that's what we're dealing with. And I would not treat you that way. I would not come to your house. Uh, at, as one particular thing that concerns me is that a lot of researchers are using electronic equipment designed to enhance the electrical and EM environment of the location. There are these EM pods and electrostatic generators. Uh, a colleague of mine, Joshua Warren, uh, yes. has, has done a lot of uh, groundbreaking research with ghost and poltergeist work. I do not agree with him on all of his hypotheses. However, he's done groundbreaking work. And one of the things he utilizes is brings a uh, these super-powered Van de Graaff generators into locations to flood the environment with electrostatic energy. I mean, to, uh, to Tesla, uh, you know, levels, uh, flooding the environment. And he thinks that might stir up the activity, energize the activity. Or harm. Uh, potentially or harm. harm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, uh, we don't know. We're just going blindly into these places and trying new devices. And passive devices are fine. A recorder of some you know, sort to monitor the environment, that's not going to hurt anything other than it might scare you know, right. a, a ghost. But bringing in a, a, a Van de Graaff generator, electrostatic or EM generator, how do we know that's not going to kill the ghost? That whatever you know, energy field that the ghost uh, is made up of, you know, whatever you know, physical or quasi-physical element there is to the ghost, if there is any physical uh, aspect to it, uh, and I suspect there is. If a ghost can manipulate the environment and move things, there has to be some, at least quasi-physical component. How do we know that this energy uh, flooding devices we're using are not dissipating, damaging, or destroying? That's, that's so true. Uh, and, it, and it may not, you know, uh, but we just don't know. Yeah, we don't know. And it's like, I know at all times, uh, and Allie Shriver, my dear friend and co-director of my team here in San Diego, we constantly talk about respect and reverence and, and the golden rule. And when you go into a location, be respectful. I mean, one thing that drives me nuts is, is when folks have their recorders and they just set them down, hit record, and then start asking questions. I mean, would you go up to a stranger in life that you don't know about? And just automatically go up and start asking intrusive questions without, you know, their consent and without getting to know them a little bit. No, you would not. So I think it's, you know, important. And we always, before we, for example, conduct an audio session, we have a statement of intent that lets the energies know, you know, why we're here. We never demand. We say, if you'd like to speak with us, that'd be great. Yada, yada, yada. But there needs to be more respect. I can't agree with you more on this. My approach uh, is I go into a location uh, for the first time, at least. I identify myself conversationally. I will sit there and, and talk into empty space. Hi, my name's Randy. Uh, here's, I'm from New Jersey. Here's why I'm here, what I'm trying to do. If I have equipment with me, I point it out, explain what it is. Yeah. Point out that it will not harm you. And I, I don't utilize anything which I think could harm uh, these things. Uh, if I have co-investigators with me, I introduce them. Uh, depending on the uh, on the location, especially if I'm dealing with what might be the ghost of a child, uh, my background is in in law enforcement. Uh, if the time period I'm dealing with is within the time period where a, a kid would know what a police officer or a constable or a sheriff is, I'll say, "Hey, I, I'm Randy. I'm a police officer. I help people." Is there anything, uh, is there any, you know, do you need any help? Is there anything I can do for you? Uh, worst case scenario, uh, I'm just talking at the wall and making a fool out of myself, but no, but nobody else has seen it you know, other than, you know, a, a co-investigator. Uh, so I'm not really embarrassing myself if there's not a ghost there or, or if there is a ghost there, but it's not a dead person. It may be it's some interdimensional uh, entity or some sort of time slip scenario going on. Right. Okay. So my, you know, my being conversational and explain all this stuff may not accomplish anything, 
but it might help and it certainly doesn't hurt. And it's just, again, if, if these are people we're dealing with, basic human decency and, and politeness. That's the hallmark. I mean, I, I can't agree with you more. Oh my gosh, this is so well said. And it's so important for people to hear it too, because there's just so much, oh my goodness, and it drives me nuts. It, all, it, it hurts me because it, you know, I, it, it physically and emotionally hurts me to, to know that there's this exploitation going on and, and this maltreatment of energies. It just, it really does. Um, so what are some alternative uh, explanations for ghostly phenomena um, that maybe you've dealt with on, on some of your cases? Well, in, uh, as a category, poltergeist phenomena is regarded to be a separate phenomena than, than ghosts or apparitions, uh, where a, a ghost in general, the general public's definition is a, a dead person. Right. Uh, who has come back or has stayed behind. That's, that's a person, a surviving human consciousness. The current parapsychological uh, model for poltergeists is that, no, nah, there's no ghost there. It's a living person in the environment who unconsciously is causing psychokinesis and uh, mm-hmm. uh, causing things to move, uh, sounds to be created, you know, dishes to explode, uh, a whole range of stuff. Which, uh, to the general purpose person, you say, "Hey, that, that's that's a haunting going on." Well, we uh, we categorize haunting phenomena uh, as being largely subjective things you hear, uh, feel, sense, see, smell, and in cases where there is gross manipulation of matter, if things are levitating, if doors are opening and closing, uh, glassware exploding, people being pushed, people being scratched. We categorize that level of physicality as poltergeist. And parapsychology as a science has a very rigid wall between those two categories. I do not agree with that. I think that uh, you you cannot make these absolute delineations between the phenomena. Uh, Some poltergeist cases also have subjective sensations. You'll smell things, hear things, feel things, see an apparition. Um, some cases that we think are ghosts, you know, a, a haunted house mm-hmm. that may have been going on for, you know, a hundred years for most cold poltergeists last a couple of weeks to a couple of months, but there are some long-term haunting ghostly uh, cases where doors open and close where people, you know, are touched when uh, things you know, are levitated so uh, that the the line of delineation, I think, is artificial. It helps us try to create some sort of categories because as humans, we like putting things in, in categories and containers. That's just how our minds operate. But in this case, uh, there's a lot of crossover. Though in general, there are, uh, in for most cases, at least six or seven out of ten, you can see a distinction between hauntings and poltergeists. Uh, and one of those is a, a haunting haunted house can occur uh, when there's nobody in the house. Right. Uh, right. Uh, to know what something's going on, you have to have people there to experience it, to report it, but it can be different people, different families move into a house over, you know, a hundred years and the different families, different people will experience these things with poltergeist cases. It's usually one single individual uh, or a uh, a group of individuals. Uh, sometimes it's a uh, uh, you know, a teenage girl, and this stuff happens around her. But it only happens when her father or her brother is also present. So right. it's a dynamic. It's not always just one person, but that dynamic is always present. And if those people are not in the house, there's no activity. So we do notice those distinct set of dynamics between the two. Uh, even with in hauntings, there there are two types of possible hauntings. Uh, in parapsychology, the term haunting is applied almost exclusively to what's called a residual haunting, an environmental recording, uh, things that happened in the past, emotional uh, trauma, emotional stress, the the terror generated by somebody as they're being killed, uh, if they're being murdered. Uh, sometimes a good emotion. Sometimes you know. Uh, uh, you'll move into a house and you'll hear sounds of 
a party going on when there's no one in the house but you. That seems to imply that sometime in the past, you know, some good vibrations were absorbed by the house and they play themselves back. Uh, uh, but there's no ghost. You, you, even if you see an apparition, uh, you know, a lady will walk past you and pass through a wall. If you run up to her and wave and stand in her face and go, hey there, I'm here. There's no reaction. They ignore you. They continue to do what they're doing. It's on all on the surface of it. It appears just like what it sounds like. It's it's a a, a, a video and or audio recording uh, of past events. There's no ghost or surviving human consciousness there. Other cases, what you're dealing with does react to you. If you right. see an apparition and you wave at it, it can turn and look at you, or even try to move away from you if you get close to it. Uh, sometimes they try to communicate with you. Sometimes you recognize it as your, you know, dear aunt, you know, dead aunt Alice. Uh, sometimes dear aunt Alice will talk to you or leave some sort of message behind. In that case, it's not a recording. There's something, some animated uh, conscious intelligence there or some sort of intent. So the, uh, we call that uh, an apparitional haunting uh, or uh, in layman's terms, an entity haunting as opposed to the residual uh, uh, haunting. Though most in parapsychology, if they use the term haunting, they're referring exclusively to the residual recording haunting. Makes uh, sense. Uh, uh, but it, that's within the parapsychological hierarchy. Out in the general field of paranormal investigation, uh, and I include myself in that to a degree, uh, I use the term haunting to cover all of this, but I will specify I'm, I'm talking about a residual haunting or an apparitional intelligent haunting. So you have three. You have three things. You know, uh, a person subconscious psychokinesis causing it, and there's no ghost. You have a residual recording, and there's no ghost, or you have a ghost. And uh, it's also possible that in some cases you have some sort of entity present, but it's not a human. It's not you know a, a dead person. Uh, the, and you might throw the uh, demonic cases into that uh, if any of those cases are real uh, or a uh, some sort of uh, interdimensional incursion from elsewhere. And I don't know where elsewhere is some you know, parallel multiverse where things can cross, you know, to and fro and, uh, a, and a strict definition of a, of a demon, you know, uh, no matter what theological wrappings you put on that, mm -hmm. that also would be an interdimensional incursion. It's coming from somewhere else, you know, whether that's hell or whether that's a parallel universe, if there's even any distinction between those two things. Uh, but uh, some cases may be something non-human. Can't prove that. It's, it's, a, it's a hypothesis. Some of these, a, a minority of these cases seem to be nasty, malevolent, uh, assault of people are hurt, they're bit, scratched, pushed. Uh, no one, to my knowledge, has been killed. There's one case in the history books of a, uh, of a ghost or poltergeist killing somebody. That's the Bell Witch case in Tennessee in the 1800s. Yes, yes, and, and I read about that. If you, if you look into the details of that, uh, a lot of that is more folklore uh, than reality. There's no actual strong evidence that the poltergeist poisoned John Bell. Uh, but that, that's, even if it's real, that's one case out of thousands in the literature. So these things do not kill people, but I, I've worked cases. People have been scratched, pushed, shoved, certainly intentionally terrified. Sometimes these things will go out of their way to do things uh, where it's obvious they're trying to scare you to death. Uh, and some folks say, well, that's, that's demonic. Well, I counter by saying uh, I've, uh, I've been a cop since 1985. I've never come across a demon. I've come across a lot of very bad and evil people who hurt, torment, torture, uh, and, and kill. Right. I don't think we need to jump to a conclusion that something negative, malevolent, or evil is a demon because uh, we exactly. have enough we have enough bad people to go around to to cover that category. 
And there's a distinction between like a lower level entity that uh, was once a living human being versus some non-human entity. That, I mean, it's like a complete different different uh, distinction that you're talking about. And I think too that, you know, I, I think we need to examine more how the living is influencing and or potentially causing anomalous phenomena. I mean, this is where... Um, I, you know, get into like tulpas and thought projections and, and what their influences are on the field as well. Even like psychokinetically created. I, I mean, I don't know. Is it possible that, you know, scores and scores of people are going into a certain location day after day, year after year, wanting to communicate with a said entity. And then somehow psychokinetically, there's a, a, another hologram type entity created from that. I don't know if that's possible, but these are kind of the things that sometimes I like to think about, go outside of the box a little bit. Well, that, that is a fascinating concept uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, for, for many hundreds of years, uh, especially in uh, Tibetan and, and Eastern uh, religious and folklore studies, there's the concept of a tulpa, uh, a, uh, a, an intelligence or a life form, which is generated by a person. It's a, it's a thought entity. You think about something and then it comes into being and goes off and starts doing its own thing. Uh, that apparently is not completely uh, locked into the realm of folklore. There was a, uh, a scientific experiment conducted in uh, the 1970s. I'm thinking maybe 1974, maybe a little bit earlier. Uh, a, uh, a psychical research group in Canada uh, set up an experiment to uh, create a ghost. It was called the Philip experiment. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. It was uh, the Owens uh, a couple and uh, they had their group and they would get a group of sitters to sit around a table and do a little seance thing. And they created a fictional biography of a guy named Philip who was a cavalier from the 15 or 1600s. And he looks like this and he's married to this person and he lives in so-and-so and has a dog and a cat. They created an entire detailed fictional biography. Then they would meet you know, every couple of days for a period of years around the seance table, trying to make contact with, with Philip who, you know, was totally fictional. Uh, over a period of years, and it happened slowly, but they started getting responses from uh, "quote unquote" Philip. They, uh, Philip, are you here? They would get knocks and raps. Then the typical table starts to tilt a little bit, and they would start asking Philip questions. Philip would answer the questions uh, in line with what you would expect Philip to say if he was real, based on the totally fictional biography. Uh, as that research continued. Uh, it began occur uh, the phenomena began occurring independently and separate from the seance sessions. Uh, it appeared that Philip was there doing things, moving things and rapping and knocking, whether or not there was an actual seance in session at that particular moment. So it really looks like we have a real tulpa or thought form that was created by living people. There was no real external Philip to start with. But apparently something was generated, it was projected into the environment, and it took on a life of its own to some degree. And that's, I'm wondering if you, I've often thought that same principle, that same uh, thought projection, Tulpa principle, that can be applied to malevolent energies. The people that believe and go into these places and think that everywhere you go, there's a demon and a malevolent entity, if, if they're not creating separate entities that are malevolent. I'm wondering. And, and, I, I and let's say if if over a period of years, various groups, you know, uh, different investigators, all go to the same place with the same expectations. Yes. You know, they watch a TV show where somebody says, "Hey, there's a demon that lives in this house," and then uh, the the uh, viewers want to go out and see that themselves. And uh, over a period of time, they could actually be generating their own, you know, PK field for lack of a better term, and creating a, 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 a tulpa or a thought form. Uh, or if there is something physically, objectively there that was there before they arrived, uh, uh, even if it's an environmental uh, force of some kind or a, 
what's the word for a lower level a non-human entity? A uh, uh, there, there's a word for a lower uh, a level a non-human in uh, in the occult uh, literature. Uh, but if there's something there. It's still possible that enough people show up and and imprint their own expectations and belief onto that. It will start picking up some of those characteristics and run with it. Absolutely. Uh, uh, there are many cases, including the, uh, the exorcist case in, uh, uh, in Maryland in 1948, uh, that uh, was a poltergeist case, uh, 14-year-old boy uh, was experiencing poltergeist phenomena. Is a typical poltergeist phenomena at home and when he was in school. It was in, in the classroom. Things would happen. Uh, J.B. Ryan looked into it at the time. It was recorded in the literature as a poltergeist investigation. But then the clergy got involved. The Catholic Church got involved. They said, well, this is obviously a demon that's trying to possess this poor child. Once the clergy said that and told that to the parents and told that to the, uh, to the kid, uh, whose name we don't know, his, his pseudonym uh, was uh, Roland Doe, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once that was out there, the phenomena started acting like demonic oppression and demonic possession. But that See? did not take on that persona until the priests, who were authority figures, uh, when they said, you have a demon, well, uh, the, the family believed it, and then the phenomena took on the persona of a demon, which led to an exorcism, which led to uh, William Peter Blatty writing the book and the movie The Exorcist, based on a real situation. But the real situation was a typical, prototypical, classic, recurrent, spontaneous psychokinesis poltergeist case. Hence why uh, there needs to be more more focus and more research done on, on what the living is doing and, 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 and how it's contributing to the field. I mean, we have like three minutes left in the show. I would love to have you back on in the near future because there are so many other aspects um, to talk about, but uh, in the next couple of minutes, now's your chance to, you know, any social media channels you want to plug or any events that you're working on. I know with COVID-19, it's, probably not as busy or a lot of us aren't as busy now with COVID-19, but anything going on that you would like to share in terms of events, things like that. Now's your chance. Uh, well, what's going on is I'm catching up with a lot of reading lately. Nice. Uh, I, I love it. I, I am hunkered down in my fortress of arrogance here and not leaving the house. <laughs> so no, no, no field investigations going on right now. Yeah. Uh, uh, but I hope to get back into that pretty soon. Uh, I right, right before COVID hit, I was, uh, I had tickets and a hotel to go to, uh, uh, London. I was going to to investigate the tower of London. Oh my gosh. Uh, I had, I had behind the scenes access with the Omen warders to get into it after it's closed to the public. I was going to do the, my uh, Stonehenge and Avebury to go commune with the stones and that all, you know, uh, flew out the window with COVID. So hopefully soon. Hopefully uh, but, soon. Yes. But for right now, if anybody wants to, if, if you're not totally sick of me uh, from listening to me act for the past hour, and no, you still want to know more kidding? of my ranting, uh, <laughs> my, my webpage is uh, ghosthunter.iwarp.com. That's ghosthunter.iwarp.com. Uh, I have a lot of material on there. Uh, I have uh, discussions of some cases I've worked, several articles I've written, some video clips of uh of shows I've been on uh, a lot of information and you can also link to my uh, Facebook page from there. If you want to follow me on Facebook, I occasionally post some snarky comments. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Randy, for joining me tonight. I would love to have you back on in the near future. This was an excellent interview. Lots of valuable information. Next week, uh, we have Joey and Tanya Medea on uh, paranormal researchers and radio hosts. So looking forward to talking with them. As I usually do, I want to leave you with this last little tidbit of information here at the Afterlife Chronicles. We are bridging the gap between mortality and the afterlife one experience at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in and have a great night. See you next week.